What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bolden, and we have the sub-host, Dr. Craig. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, sorry. I mean, my my co-host. My co-host, Dr. Craig Spodak. That is so bad. I'm playing with you, pal. I'm sensitive. Hey, if anything, people are logging in to listen to you. Oh, I don't know about that, bro. Well, I do. I do. I just call you up and say, hey, talk to me, pal. Just talk to me. I just like your soothing voice. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so Pete, we've got some big stuff going on here. Big stuff. Big stuff. How many days out are we from the summit? Uh, so right now, the exactly. Summit, give me an exact number. I'm going to give you the exact because it's we have the countdown timer. It's 43 days, 14 hours, 53 minutes, and eight seconds. Okay. And counting. Nice. I was hoping you'd give that precision. I know. Well, it's on the website. So uh, we still have a couple spots left. Um, I am so fired up about it because uh, listen, I don't know about Atlanta, but June 14th and 15th in South Florida, holy smokes, it is hot and humid. Uh, is Atlanta pretty bad with humidity that time in June? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's getting up there for sure. For sure. But California, it's about perfect. You're right. Yeah. So it's at the, uh, as, as you know, La Terrania resort in Palos Verdes, it's actually Rancho's Palos Verdes. Mm. I've been saying at Palos Verdes, there's three words to that That Rancho. That sounds like a dish that I would order. Yeah, it is actually a very well-known um, uh, Mexican dish, Rancho Palos Verdes. It's a, <laughs> it's a green tomatillo sauce with some chicken. It's really nice, Pete. It's really <laughs> nice. People who live there are going to kill us now. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> no, but it's right outside the uh, airport, right, uh, right in uh, Los Angeles, but it's on the Pacific. The, the resort is beautiful. I got off the phone with Bruce Baird yesterday. Um, he is actually flying out, as I told you, at 5.15 a.m., leaving a lecture on Saturday to get there. But now he's bringing his wife. And he's extending his stay. I guess he Googled the resort and he's going to turn it in, into like yeah. four or five days. And you Googled it. And we told him that we're bringing our families and making a Father's Day event. I've had some, some of my uh, colleagues reach out and say, yeah, as you know, it's Father's Day weekend. I'm like, yeah, we know. We did this on purpose. So, um, so anyway, y'all check it out. Some of the, like Craig said, I think the early bird spots are gone, but um, there's still time to still time to get in and we're, we're, we're going to cap it even smaller than last year's summit simply because we really like the mastermind effect we had in Atlanta last year. Um, the other thing Craig, I've had people say is like, I'm just going to wait until the October summit. I'm like, there, there's, there, not no, there's no be- October summit. I took that out of my calendar. You had a placeholder for like a social media summit. I'm like, nah, we're not doing that. So, so. Th- this is it for 2019 pal. So oh, by the way, I talked to another buddy of mine. Um, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Brandon. Um, he's going to be at a Miguel Ortiz uh, course for photography. And he's like, damn, I don't want to miss it. And he came up. He's like, hey, can I send some of my key people without me? I'm like, dude, of course. So we're going to pour into uh, his team. He's going to send two wow. teammates with him. I think that's I awesome. like that. Like, I do too. What an arbitrage of his learning, right? He's sending someone as a proxy and then he's learning and, and they bring back his learning. But also they're going to work on vision and, and what they want to achieve for the no, practice, what they need to get excited for. And also uh, not to keep going because we have a really great guest here, but I got that awesome email from one of our friends who said since the summit, he is up 20% quarter over quarter. That was such an amazing. And his practice was already pretty yeah, much kicking ass by the way. Yeah. I was like, bro, you got to get up here and start presenting. He was so, it was amazing. And, and that's what I love about the summit is just that we are able to learn from each other. He says, just want to say, um, I'd love to come to the California summit, but I'm really focused on keeping my summer dedicated to my family, which I told him about what we're doing. So he may be on the fence about it now too. The October event changed us and our team has caught on fire up 20% after Q1 compared to last year and just hired an awesome doctor. It's going to help me cut my three days to cl- three clinical days. Uh, thanks for being there for guys like me and keep pressing forward. I just got out of a meeting, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to keep up with you, brother. That's what he said. But, uh, I'm going to tell you, man, we're trying to keep up with you. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, great acknowledgement for what we did. And we do have the 10 times guarantee. So if what you paid is not, uh, increased in collections over the next year, we will give you your money back. We'd gladly do that. So, uh, it's a money back guarantee. Uh, that even goes, if you send your team and you don't want to go to, we're, we're happy to extend that to you as well. 
Um, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about being there with you, Pete. We got awesome um, people speaking with us this time. Excited for our cocktail hour with Bruce Baird. It's so funny. I said, Bruce, do you oh, want? And to- you know what? I meant to. I think you got clearance from. So our marketing guy, our mutual marketing guy. Oh, Nathan, right. Is going to be there, and he and uh, another friend of his colleague who does some other stuff marketing, they offered to do a cocktail session of marketing from awesome. like you know, on Friday, that Friday night. So it's going to be action packed full. You know, there's going to be cocktails with Bruce Baird on Saturday and cocktail and marketing stuff. And these guys, you know, I may know a thing or two about marketing, but these guys know uh, lots of things or twos. And Nathan's awesome. He's really awesome. So, um, so we haven't even added that to the bulletproof summit.com landing page. That's just an add on bonus for you listeners. So, um, anyway, I'm excited too, Craig, but I'm even more excited to introduce my new friend, my new friend, Jason, Jason Price. Jason, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad thank to be you here. For, thank you for having the patience, pal, to, uh, to sit through that long-winded, uh, shameless plug for the Bulletproof Summit we were doing. Um, Sounds like a great event. We're having a, yeah, we're having a cool event. Marketing in Florida, yeah. California. Yeah. So if you just, if you want to come and hang out with a bunch of dentists then feel free to uh, feel free to sign up, Al. Actually, I mean, you are in the dental space, so it probably would behoove you to do that. But um, so Jason Price works for a company called Crown Tenant Advisors, and he's actually local here in Atlanta. And the way Jason's path and mine crossed is that I'm, I'm doing another acquisition right now. And that acquisition does not have the real estate for sale. So I'm having to, and ironically that the dentist that, that was selling the practice uh, didn't know he was on his lease had expired or was on a month to month lease. So in my due diligence process, I had to go through and do some lease negotiations to set up a term because without a space, right? The goodwill is worth nothing. So that's been a little bit, um, that's been hard, but, but so when I was telling that to one of my longtime friends, um, John Kerger, um, who runs a dental transition uh, company now, he actually recommended I reach out to Jason. So Jason, I got on the phone and he really helped kind of dial through some of the things because I haven't been in a, a lease situation, quite honestly, in a long time. And it's just not my, Craig, you're going to like this. This is not my superpower anymore. You know, oh, no? Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so Jason, welcome to the show. Why don't you give us a little, a little background of, of, of who you are, what you do, and how you can help. Sure. Yeah. And your scenario is uh, kind of, unfortunately, more common than um, than I would like, where people are at a critical point of their career, but yet real estate was kind of snuck up on them or wasn't on the front of their mind. Um, I grew up, my dad was a real estate investor and developer, so he built um, office warehouse buildings and kind of did it all. He would do ground-up construction and finish them out and lease them out himself. So I was uh, kind of grew up with that background, and I've been investing in both commercial and real estate, uh, residential real estate for 15 years now. Um, I've worked for uh, in dental with um, dental uh, distributor and in sales for 17 years. So this is kind of, I, I joined Crown Tenant a few years back, but I combined two uh, careers on that path. So being that I had such a real estate background, I was always talking to clients about their leases and spaces and growing in multiple locations. So I was referring a lot of my clients to a, a uh, Andrew review with this, which started Crown Tenant Advisors. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm happy to have a very small niche because dentistry is um, unique in its real estate needs. And um, there's a lot of it, it kind of challenges, one type of dentistry versus the others. There's not a one size fits all answer on what people need for it. So it, it reflects back on what their vision and goals of their practice are. What would you say is one of the, like the biggest mistakes that folks make when they are about to sign into a long-term lease and they either haven't had good counsel on it or they're just signing something that they, you know, hadn't had someone like yourself looking at, like, what do you see as like a catastrophic error? A crat- I would say the biggest error would be people get their attention focused on the economic factors of the lease. What is my rate? Uh, how much free rent or tenant improvements? And they don't always look at all the risk factors. And so a lot of those I'm negotiating early on with the landlords and with every lease I do, I always recommend having an attorney look at it and review it. And if we can, a a real estate and or dental specific attorney look at it, but they're also negotiating those risk factors, but it's a lot better to bring those in early in the lease and take a look at things like the personal guarantee and and purchase options and fair market value language. Um, A lot of people negotiate 
certain increases, but when it comes to renewal time, a landlord that wanted to push you out of the lease could double the rent. Wow. Let me ask you, yeah. so you, t- you t- touched on a couple of things. Talk, talk to me about personal guarantees. Isn't that just par for the course? Don't you, most, most dentists signing up uh, on a lease will have to give a personal guarantee or is that not normal? So the, yes, when you're getting tenant improvement allowance, when they're kind of the landlords investing in you, like the bank, they want you to personally guarantee it. But we would like to see that burn off over time or definitely mm-hmm. um, expire when the renewal term comes. Um, I look at any any business needs a exit strategy, and hopefully it's a long time away. But we want clear rules on how to sell your practice, how to end the lease, and things like that. Um, and so the sooner that we can get that personal guarantee to burn off, the more freedom the doctor has to whether it's bringing on a 50% partner or whether it's selling 100% of the practice. But if you have a personal, even if you don't have a personal guarantee, let's just say you have a 10-year term, a 10-year lease, and it burns off after three, you are responsible for the last seven years of the rent, correct? Correct. So what the personal guarantee means if you like want to walk, they could sue you personally? Like dive into that for a second, just so we understand what that means. Yeah, so the when the personal guarantee is off, the the LLC is still the tenant of the space. Right. And so the landlord wants to protect, they want to make sure that you don't go kind of buy a building across the street and, and play a shell game with the LLC. And that's not dentist intention in doing that. But if they wanted to sell half the LLC to a 50% partner or 49% partner, we don't really want the landlord to have to approve the mm-hmm. transfer of that ownership. And so I tell landlords, they may be investing $100,000 into free rent and tenant improvement, but I don't want them to have say so whether we sell a million dollar asset nine years later. Got it. And so I want that opened up where you have freedom of selecting whoever you want to buy whatever portion of that LLC that you want. It's funny. You're right. I mean, I did get focused even in this specific deal. I got focused on, okay, well, what's the LHI or the leasehold improvements um, for this specific deal? What's the term, you know, is it triple net? All these things that, you know, like you said, are pretty superficial and, and that's where people get focused. Like I, like I was, um, so I'm glad that you're kind of bringing attention to some things that, that, you know, cause I, cause I think most, you know, I think probably what Craig, wouldn't you say that like 90% of dentists probably 90% of practices are probably leased at this point or Jason, I'd punt, I'd punt that back to you, Jason, what yeah. percentage you know, on a national scale, a dentist own versus rent the real estate? I would, I mean, so I, I can just speak for the Georgia market. I'm licensed in Georgia and that's where I work. Um, I would say in Georgia, it's, it's would be closer to 25% own and 75% lease. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm working with leasing clients, I work with them every five to seven years to renew or, or they're more likely to move. Once someone purchases, they tend to, Stay there for 20 years so they're they're less real estate agent dependent so yeah p and i always talk about oh sorry i would say 25 20 or 25 percent of the doctors i work with are buying land or buying uh, buildings to for their dental office so yeah p and i always talk about um real estate being a forced savings account you know if you have excess capital there there's a law um, I was listening to a really interesting uh, YouTube video. I want Pete, I want you to um, check it out. It was by a guy named uh, Peterson. He actually has um, a podcast with um, Joe Rogan. I'm just loving it. I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm sure I'm like the last guy. I've been digging it. Yeah, it's freaking great. The guy's so intelligent, Joe Rogan. But anyway, he's um, he's got this this guy on um, and, and he, was, he brought up so many relevant factors, but one of the things that I gleaned from it was that you will wind up spending X percentage of your income. So one of the reasons why people just don't, don't reach financial freedom, you know, being able to do what they want when they want is because when you make more money and all of us dentists are guilty of typically doing better and better every year, we just, even though you're making five and 7% more money, you're, if you're spending nine or 12% more mm-hmm. each year, you're going to run out of room. And he was taught, I was listening to, you know, a podcast that said, you know, my, actually it was my buddy, Scott Galloway said my parents with their social security and everything that they, and their dividends and their pension, they make $60,000 a year, but they spend 40. And he said, they're rich. And Scott said, I have friends that, you know, that earn 1.5 and 2.5 million a year. And they're like living life, you know, at such a high level, they're actually broke. They're spending more than they're making. So, 
the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is a re- real estate and Pete, you always talk to me about this. The minute Pete has ex- extra capital, he's buying something um, and it's a forced savings plan. You have to pay that mortgage. And I know there's all these cliches about paying yourself first, but without the pressing demand of a bill due, uh, you will wind up finding something else to spend that money on, whether it's a guest home or a, or a big screen TV. So talk to me, Jason, about what your recommendations are when you're talking to dentists before they lease versus buy. Yeah, we can tie this sure. into, you know, Brady Frank talked about this, about, you know, he's an advocate of controlling your real estate for your practice and multiple streams of income. So yeah, I want to hear your, your thoughts on this, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've, I completely understand and agree with what you're saying. I have a, a condo that I'm selling right now. It's under contract and I'm trying to identify my next property before I get that check cashed or otherwise it's going to go to a new kitchen and patio furniture, which mm-hmm. is, was not my decision. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and that doesn't qualify for a 1031 either. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. And um, it doesn't help me build. What, what did y'all call it? The, the nest egg mentality. Yeah, that, so, that yeah. Works. yeah. Yeah. The kitchen does not work in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you said something, uh, I like calling it, like you said, forced savings is a good way of looking at it. And also you mentioned extra cash. Um, it, I don't want to see somebody buying the building and tying money up in real estate if they can't invest in their practice. And like going on to a CE course like y'all's, investing in the marketing, investing in implants and cone beam, to me that kind of stuff has a lot higher return on investment than owning real estate. Now that being said, I own real estate. My dad owns real estate. I love owning real estate, but I don't want anyone to do it if it's going to sacrifice the growth of their practice. And, and I want um, to pip, I want to stop you there, Jason, for a second, because like, for instance, Craig, and I don't know if you know this, but Mark Costas is a huge advocate of not buying the building. Yeah. M- most people. Because that's an impediment to growth. Like Jason's saying, you don't, you're burning all this dry powder that you could be deploying growing practice, acquiring practices into the bucket of stale real estate, if you will. Not stale, but you know what I'm saying. Not as well. It's not it's, as it's use of cap- not, it's not as possibly of- lucrative as a practice could be. Well, it's use of capital. It's use of it's it's use of your money. So if you're you know a Mark Costas or even a guy like you, Pete, you give part of me. You give you an extra you know, a couple hundred grand. I know I have complete faith with you know the amount of Atlanta dental spas and offices you've opened. You know a very efficient way to turn four or five or $600,000 into a very significant revenue stream for you. So it just depends on what your specific goals are. If you have that entrepreneurial spirit and you know how to mm-hmm. use that capital effectively, it's great. But if you don't, if you're going to, if, if you're going to take that capital and just stick it in your 401k or, I mean, Jesus maximums to that, but stick it into an investment portfolio, you're a secure tenant because you're, you're occupying your own space. There's a lot of favorable loans. Like I took advantage of an SBA loan here. So if you occupy more than 50% of your space, you can get that, um, that loan of value down to, um, or uh, you can get a 10% LTV or what is it? 90% LTV or 10% LTV. I want to speak correctly on that, Jason. 90 LTV. You're getting yeah, loan to, yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. You, you were, yeah. 90%. Even, yeah. I want to say there's SBA things that are uh, 100%. where you could almost get 100% um, or yeah. eventual 100%. Especially for dentists. Yeah. Correct, yeah. And that's uh, a problem you're, too, you're by right. the way. If you, go, if you go under that 51%, then you're buying, you're getting more of an investor loan. And that, that's a problem too. We should put a pin in that for just a little later. Is that what, having no skin in the game is a problem? <laughs> no, it's just a problem in that, you know, there's, there's something that affects the dentist. So there's, there's two, there's a couple factors at work. Number one, we tend to make more money every year, or we feel like we have uh, a job that's going to just continue to do well. So it delays the, it delays the urgency for saving. You know I mean? Every other industry goes through such highs and lows. You know, if you're a, a comer- if you're a home builder, a commercial builder, you got your like butt completely decimated just ten years ago. No one was buying homes. No one was doing things. Dentistry is fairly recession proof. I mean, we are sensitive to it, but it, it lends itself to a, I'll start saving tomorrow. And I compound that with the fact that a bank loves a dentist. Our default rates are priced so damn low. They will loan us anything. So, I mean, it's easy just to keep stacking on and, and the supply houses love to do that as well. Here's the Combium. It's only $500 a month. And they'll tell you that, oh, you only need to take, you know, how much you charge for it. You only need to take one scan. That's bullshit. That's not true. $500 that you take in on your front line does not translate into $500. And I hate when people tell, I hate when supply. Yeah. yeah. I hate when people say that, by the way, they're like, you can't afford not to get this machine. You just do one crown of pays for it. I'm like, no, no, no dude. Yeah. That's not, the, the overhead is not 1%. 
or or 2%, you know, so they don't understand that, that, that metric. And I think, uh, unfortunately dentists are preyed upon because of the confluence of factors of making more and more money and also having banks that green light us for anything. You know, we didn't let you finish your, your, when your line of line of, uh, your thought on that one, you can tell Craig and I get excited about the real estate and this kind of, this topic, sure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah, I want you to, I want you to keep on kind of in, in that, in that vein of what, what you, you know, hearing the aforementioned, like what are your thoughts on that now? Yeah. So with the part I like about it, um, the owning the real estate in, in Brady Frank's kind of mentioned on it, using the word controlling your real estate. I like the dentist having control of where their economic engine is. I like you being able to control your landscaping, your signage, when you mm-hmm. repaint, uh, whether you want. The, uh, I talked to so many dentists that are in a tenant relationship where they're repairing a HVAC system and they want it replaced or they want it upgraded. And so owning real estate, aside from the invest, investment angle of it, it's really nice to control what your building looks like, what your facility, the parking, the signage, and everything, with, everything about it. One thing that dentists overlook when they're looking at um, using it for multiple streams of income, like multi-tenant properties, is dentists are picky landlords. And it goes back to that parking lot and who they're sharing with. Um, A normal real estate investor will rent to any business that comes along. They have, they want to keep a certain feel to the building of the center, but a dentist wants kind of top notch. So they only want to rent to the best of businesses that complement their they're building. Oh, so it's a little okay. bit harder for a dentist to find tenants. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Because they don't want the massage parlor or the, the dry cleaner next door, or maybe they do. I don't the vape, know. But vape stores are a big one now. Vape stores. There you go. Yeah. So they, they're picked, on one side of you and a vape store on the other. You sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So they're picky with who they, who's going to write them a check monthly, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, because so the they're really, with, they're they're really kind of just looking at it as um, it's really about their business first. So whatever that tenant can provide them, what is it going to be three to $5,000 a month of gross rent? And I get that, you know, I mean, I, mean, no, I get like that. You could shaft, you could, you could hurt the mothership. By, yeah, exactly. Uh, I get that. Makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and I completely agree with it. Like Pito and Ortho have such a good relationship, but I, but a lot of times, Dennis, having that extra square footage for their practice is a lot more profitable than tying it up for $1,500 of rent for the next 10 years kind of thing. So a lot of times, Dennis, controlling that building for their expansion is more important than collecting that rent check. That's funny. It's like the thing that uh, – I'm glad you said that, actually, Jason, because so many times we build and we think – or I do at least. I've done it. I'm like, you know, I can get away with this many square feet, and I'll just pack in these these ops. And – always never fails you end up needing more room down the way or wanting more room down the way in any location that happens Craig, you've you've probably never thought to yourself craig "Ah, you know i should have gone smaller have you and you built the biggest office i've ever seen well i built a large office but it doesn't have as many ops as it could have okay but but okay but have you ever said you know what i shouldn't have put so many ops in here i shouldn't have gone oh god no i should have put more ops in see that's my point and so i think that's jason's point as well is like why if you're going to multi-tenant and you're going to buy a shopping center, like, yeah, you're going to lease out. Yeah. The highest and best use of that space is going to be growing it, your practice to, to its plateau and then leasing out the rest of it possibly. Am I saying that right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But there's also like, I talked to a very well-known wealth advisor um, and he said like the number one reason why his clients have gotten ultra wealthy in their lifetimes is from concentration in one particular area. And uh, he then said, and the number one reason why I've, I've had clients that have lost everything is due to concentration in one area. And the reason why I mentioned that is there is something to say, you know, the Marcostas approach of taking capital and opening up practices versus like the guy who, like me, um, who owns a lot of his assets in one concentrated area. So your building and your practice, if that makes up a good portion of your net worth, that's something that's a li- could be precarious. Um, so there's two ways of looking at it and you never know how it's going to work. Um, but, but having said that, and Jason, I'd really like, it, like you to talk on this because um, I'm sure Pete and I can spend an hour on this one alone. But, it, it, you know, real estate being a, a leveraged asset, you know, obviously, if you buy in a good area, real estate tends to go up over time. But the return on your investment is massive because you don't have 
you only have, I mean, what, 30, 40% equity at max. So if you if your property is going up by 4%, your cash on cash return is massive. I hope that makes sense for the listener. So if you're four, if you have a million dollar asset and you only have $300,000 of equity in it and your building goes up 4%, you're making 4% on a million, not 4% on the equity. And the, you know, if your rates are low enough, the depreciation that you have and, and the right leveraging tax incentives and yeah. leveraging is the arbitrage of your interest rate. So you're right. You're all those things you're you're right, Craig. It's it's a big it's a big benefit to small business owners and dentists for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You're able to leverage yourself into a, a, a lot more appreciation. And over time, it is going to appreciate. It is going to pay for itself. Yeah, they're not making any more one, of it. One thing I kind of recommend dentists take a look at is there's a lot of real estate investors out there that they're that you're competing with buying buildings, buying property and things mm-hmm. like that. And there's a lot of well-seasoned developers and things like that. But a lot of times when I talk to dentists, they want to do everything. For, they want a, a speculative piece of property. They want to be in that uh, area that's going to turn around. They're looking for ground up. They're looking for kind of raw land and they want to buy and hold and they want it multi-tenant. But I try to get them. It's, it's great if you can do all that, but I try to get them to focus on uh, more specific areas of real estate investment and kind of start off with, let's think about the single building for just your practice before we think multi-building. Um, rarely do I want to make someone to mix their practice with speculative real estate. Um, in Atlanta, there's, they're building a belt line around the city and there's developers putting billion dollar projects into that belt line. And so for a dentist to try to go into a turnaround area, I don't want to see them have slow growth or more of a mixed clientele for five years. And if the economy changes before their project's finished, then they're kind of locked into that for longer. So, um, I kind of help them balance time frames and let's not try to capitalize on every single aspect of real estate investing. Let's find the few that complement your practice versus um, put your practice at a greater risk. Yeah. It's funny. The uh, like, real, the real estate guys that I know you talk about these well-seasoned real uh, investors, everybody wants to get into real estate. Like anybody that ever sells their business, that's that's the ideal thing that they try to get into. It's it feels as though, and I'm sure there's statistics to back this up, that um, that's the clearest path to inordinate amounts of wealth, amassing inordinate amounts of wealth. It's a it's a tangible cash flowing asset. Like that feels good. It feels warm and fuzzy. You know, it produces a return, and you can get nine, ten caps on sometimes good properties. So yeah, that's a good real estate is sexy, and it feels good to a lot of investors. I think. All right, I want to make sure you guys run and don't walk to sign up for the next summit. I know this summit's coming a little earlier than the traditional October one like we had last year, but this one's going to be awesome. It's going to be in L.A. It's going to be in June. The weather's going to be nice. The waves are going to be crashing. We're going to be surfing. It's going to be a blast. It's also over the Father's Day weekend, which make a vacation out of it. Bring your fam. That's what Craig and I are doing. Anyway, we're kind of looking at all the agenda right now, and and we're just super excited. We've got a jam-packed list of of speakers coming you know guys like brian kaleo um you know we've got a bunch of marketing experts uh we've got jason tyson i don't want to tell you everything um but it's going to be awesome for real and and the the content will be different than the last summit so even if you went to the last summit don't think that it's going to be a regurgitation of the same thing we are going to follow some of the same principles in what we do you know the pillars that we talk about but it's going to be a different content different energy um, and we're going to bring new and current information so get to the registration see if you can get one of those early birds if not it's still going to be action-packed and value-packed so come on see you in la for more info and to check out the registration page go to bulletproofsummit.com All right, so here's a trick question for you. All right. Uh, if, if, there were, if, if you could buy raw land for your practice, raw land meaning trees are on it, no improvements whatsoever for 200000 or you could buy pad-ready land, which is that little parcel in front of a grocery store that's already leveled and cleared, um, or if you could buy, a, let's say, a former bank in that place for 800000 So raw land for two hundred. Oh, I know the answer to this Wait, 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 hold on. Raw land. I got it. Raw land. Okay, 200, same, same, same acreage, right? All yep. factors being equal. All right, raw so land, 200. Pad land for 400? 400. And then the or bank a, for 800? Let's call it a shell of a building, a former bank that you're going to totally Oh, I know this one. I went through this one. 
what's going to be the most cost effective way. Yeah, for sure. The bank. I would say that I would, I would equally say the bank. The bank is the clearest no brainer of the three. I've seen raw land for 200 and people spend 300,000 on, on improving it. Oh yeah. And so curve oh, yeah. cuts, deacceleration lane, uh, yeah. site moving. I mean, you could spend In, impact fees, raw, impact, raw land cost. impact fees. Let's talk about impact fees, by the way. Holy shit. I had no idea what those were. Like I, I had no budget for those five years ago. When I built my building. I was like, what, what's an impact fee? Well, I still don't know. Yeah. So an impact fee, you'll, you'll find out soon, man. You'll find out soon when you're developing that building. Impact fees are city or county assessed fees for the burden on the infrastructure of that you're going to put by building something brand new, cars, trips, all that stuff. I thought that I thought the increase in taxes were was accounting for that. Yeah, that is, but there's another little sucker awesome. punch that you. I, so I figured I, I had no idea. My impact fees, if I recall correctly, were like 70 G's. I had no idea um, that was even coming. I, I didn't even have a placeholder on my pro forma for. Impact. I don't think we have that in Georgia, Craig. <laughs> yeah, Jason, you have no impact fees in Georgia, correct? Not that I know of. No uh, way. <laughs> I was joking. We, I was joking. <laughs> I, I think there is a special tax. I mean, I, I know one town that does a runoff water tax and, um, and I know the larger the building, the more you get hit with those. But, um, and there is some um, economic zone that, that where they're rewarding landlords for our renovating property in those economic zones. So there's a, it doesn't there's help for leasing. Impactfees.com. Yeah, oppor opportunity zones. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's so crazy about the state of Florida too, by the way, and this is something that is widely not known. If you own your building, which you should always own your property in a separate entity other than the practice um, for limits of liability and Pete, you, Pete and Jason, that that's a truism for you guys. You're not, that's not violating any of your rules there. Absolutely. No. no okay. I, so every, every one of my properties is in, in distinct LLC. Guess what happens in Florida when you do that? So check this out. If there's any Floridian uh, listeners to this podcast and you own your own building, a separate uh, LLC, make sure you pay attention to this. You have to, in the state of Florida, pay sales tax on your rent. So if you have a $5,000 rent, you owe the state of Florida 6.5% sales tax what? to write from Jones Dental to Jones Dental Building, LLC, or Escor or whatever you have. Yep. Did you know that, Jason? I did not know that. Are you, do you want to move to Atlanta? Do you want me to help you find a spot yeah, up here? Uh, no, yeah, Pete's, he can Pete's moving you. to Florida. Pete's coming to Florida. <laughs> yeah. He's coming to Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have to pay that, but we don't have state income tax. So There's, there you go. Right. So they got to get you somehow. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, Jason, when someone's, when so, that does kind of, that is a gut punch, but you're right. The sale, I'd rather take that than no sales tax. Um, so Jason, when someone, we have a lot of, we have a lot of like young entrepreneurial listeners. So, and a lot of people I've been kind of blown away by, um, for instance, even Craig, that email, we were, we were kind of on that thread right now of that guy. I won't re release his name cause he asked for you know, M and um, <laughs> Is that like a C and enemy? M and enemy. Anonymity, dude. M and enemy. Dude, I'm gonna, get I'm it right. Just, I want to just test you. See if you can actually say that freaking word right. Aminimony. No, 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 I'm not. Fuck, I'm not joking around. Actually, try to say that freaking word for me. All right, ready? Yeah, don't Google that shit. Aminimony. Oh my God, you've got to be kidding. No, I really can't say it. Okay, let me just. Get and I'm right. a little congested right now. I know, but the congestion doesn't mess with your freaking head. Ready for this, Pete? Look at me in the screen. Aminimony. No, no. Look at me in the screen. Watch my list. Anonymity. Um, Anon anonymous. Anon How do you say the word anonymous? I'm ominous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go ahead about the kid. All I'm sorry. Right, the, the chink and Marvin. What a jerk. No, no I just found, I found that little chink. I'm going to go for it. Anonymity. Anonymity. See an enemy. Anyway. So Jason, he, he, uh, it was basically, I was so impressed with his entrepreneurial spirit and, and looking at basically his planning. This is an email I got from him. And so I'm looking at, how in his timeline, so I had to said, Hey, write out your timeline. Let me see what your path is to all these goals that you've set out X, Y, Z. He hasn't even started his practice. Won't be in there until 2020. 
but he's doing a build out, all this stuff, right? Leasing. So how, my question to you is how long should the planning process be? When should someone contact someone like you uh, in anticipation of opening? Or how, how long before, I should say? Yeah, I would say I like, uh, I mean, I would start two years ahead of time and then 18 months is a, a more reasonable. We can always do it a whole lot faster, but if we go comprehensive on everything, it could take that long. Two years? I was thinking like six months tops. You're good to go. <laughs> I did two last year that were six months. I had two doctors that I met at the Hemen last year that still aren't open yet. And we're at least they're in final stages of construction. So, And these are, yeah, le these are lease spaces, right? Correct. Doesn't that fall? Like, who does that fall on? Like the contractor? The Like that just seems. Oh, well, I mean, I, I have one right now that um, we're getting a lease draft back next week, but the building's not gonna be ready for December. So we're going into first generation um, shopping center. So. Oh, sh oh wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So two years. So some of these are, are their choice. Yeah. They, they chose a building that's further out or things like that. Um, I mean, second generation space, you could be up and running in six months. So. Um, when you but, say second gen, okay. So you, you mean not like a startup, uh, new construction shopping center or something? you saying yeah, that? Assuming a space, he's meaning. Okay. You're assuming a space Correct. that's already, already built, built out and plumbed. Go. Got it. But not sure. built out for dentist. No, built out for dentist. Um, oh, like sure. right now, I, I probably know of 20 spots in Georgia that are vacant dental offices. Out of those oh, 20, wait, I mean, out what? of those 40, 20 probably are not that desirable. Out of that, wait, out of that 20. Say that again. Uh, 40 spaces, mm -hmm. 40 built out spaces probably in Georgia right now. Yep. Wow. Out of those 20 are probably nice and another 20 are probably dated or there's issues with the building or less desirable. We need to, uh, we need to connect after this pod podcast. Call. <laughs> I need, I need a list. I need a list of those desirable ones, please. Yeah. I mean, there's like in, on the street, uh, like, where your main office is or your first office, there's, mm -hmm. I can think of three, if not four on that road. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I want think. to cannibalize my own market, but that, um, but that, that's, oh, that's interesting. Well, okay. Starbucks, Starbucks does a very interesting approach, by the way. So you ever notice how like in congested, dense metropolitan areas, you'll see Starbucks in every corner. Mm -hmm. Starbucks has this idea that it, to your point of cannibalizing, they'd rather put one of their stores in there than, um, than a competitor store. So even though the cost, even though you may be considered cannibalizing it, you're actually um, creating a more, more distribution, lock, a, right? Yeah, distribution, correct. I mean, I've been, I'd never seen something like that. I was in Seattle years ago and I remember on four corners of a street, there were three Starbucks. Yeah. I shit you not. Um, I was in a Seattle Starbucks, by the way, and this is before the whole, I know Starbucks went through a lot of um, uh, public, uh, protest about this. I think that if someone wasn't ordering something, they threw somebody out. I can't remember the, 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 the situation surrounding it, but now I believe Starbucks has a policy that you can hang out and not order anything. So I was in Seattle at a Starbucks and the place was just like, it was really <laughs> sad. Unfortunately, it was really sad, but I know Seattle has a significant homeless issue. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those um, sanctuary cities as well. And uh, they have a massive, really sad uh, homeless issue. But the Starbucks was legit packed, like standing room only. And no one was eating anything. It was just like, I mean, it was incredible. It was really sad. But uh, wow. Yeah. I don't know how we arrived had, at that. But. I had the pleasure of going to a Starbucks reserve in New York last month. And Peter, master. I think that's more like your locations. What's a Starbucks reserve? Never heard of that. They roast the beans in the store. They have conveyor, like tubes going through the ceiling that, pipe it to different locations. I but never they had heard a, that. Kind of a full restaurant there. It was like three different levels. It was enormous. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Starbucks yeah. Reserve. Have you been to one of those, Pete? Never. And I must experience this ASAP. Yeah. Wow. Find a location. Look at this. That is pretty darn cool, man. What, what were you, what, so what, did you like it, Jason? It was, it was incredible. Yes, it was. And it was in New York. Um, you, you had this one? It was in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got them around here. We got one right by me in Palm Beach. That's awesome. Yeah, I know you're a huge Starbucks fan, uh, Pete. Yeah, huge. it was the size. It was the size of a large restaurant. 
That's awesome. Wish wow. I could have a Starbucks in my office. Yeah, there's one. Uh, there's one in Seventh uh, and Peachtree, right by you there, Pete. There's a lot of them. What? Yeah, oh, right yeah. there. All right. Well, I might check in it out. In the Ansley Mall, there's one. I'm gonna go on the start Starbucks trek. Yeah, do it. Mm -hmm. Do it. Um, Jason. And speaking back, of Starbucks, by back, the way, hey, sorry. Craig, one more thing. One more thing. One more thing. Starbucks doesn't really own much of their much of their locations, as well. They have a model that they'd rather rent. To, to, to credit Mark Costas and I guess this conversation. Yeah, okay, so that's a good point. So Jason, you probably know this statistic, like what he just said, do bigger corporations, do, are they in more lease situations with that? Because I do, when I get on like LoopNet and stuff, which is the commercial real estate search engine thing, I see mm -hmm. that there's like plenty of Chick-fil-A's for sale and plenty of like the buildings for sale, of course not the franchise, um, at of course a low cap rate, but like, is that just the model? Like that's a smarter model. Like, Hey, build the building and then sell the building and then reap the cash flow. or like, what do they do? And then they take advantage of the long-term lease and then sell it at a higher cap or, you know what I'm saying? Or a lower cap. Rather. Yeah. Heartland, Heartland was big on owning and they were, they mm -hmm. were buying a lot of the properties, even when they're in their acquisitions and yep. they were able to continue growing and well capitalized that it didn't, didn't bother them. So they, they used, they had the business model that they were going to capture both. Most of the other corporations want to put their full leverage into expansion. Wow. So for a while back, like on LoopNet, you could see several different Aspen dental buildings being marketed and they were brand new buildings with a na large national tenant medical. And so it was a very low cap rate that you'd be buying, but it was, you know, potentially a 10 year with two, five year renewals, the 20 year tenant involved. So, yeah. But they're like four caps, you know, or four and a half. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Pretty dang low returns. Mm -hmm. um, so low okay, risk, so low return. The adage, you know, I guess the the the, I guess their mindset is like you said, you know, if, if they're lean and mean and all about expansion and growing, then you want to deploy all that all that dry powder or capital towards actual acquisitions or or business operations as, part, as opposed to real estate. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's a hard. It's a very. You know, it's hard to, to to cut with a broad or to paint with a broad brush here because it's there's such a difference depending on what each dentist, what he wants to do. I mean, if he's an entrepreneurial guy and on a tear to do up the DSO thing in five and ten locations, it's clearly not going to be a good use of his capital, especially if he's on location number one to buy those. You know, there's going to be a much higher return if he's proven himself as a good entrepreneur and not just mm -hmm. a dentist. And I think it's important to clarify who you are because I know there's a lot of noise. And I talk, we talk about this, you know, at the summit of what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. And there's so many podcasts and advisors like you need to do this. You need to start a DSO. Right. And start 15 Narrative. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. And the last thing you want to do is hijack someone else's vision or someone else's sales thing and take that and say, this is what I need to do. So again, it goes back to vision, craft what you want to do. Where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? And then make decisions based on that. Because if you're on an entrepreneurial tear and you've proven yourself as an entrepreneur, not just a good dentist, because if you're just a really good dentist, you can actually have a very successful practice. But if you're not the entrepreneurial type and you're just a good dentist, that doesn't translate into being a good entrepreneur. Very, very different uh, skill set. A good dentist is really an artist. Uh, there's artists, entrepreneurs, and leaders, and the three very different people. Michael Jordan is an artist. You know, I am an artist. I, you know, I, I, I have an entrepreneurial side, but Pete, you're a true entrepreneur. The art, the, the you know, I know you're, you, you enjoy practicing dentistry to some level, but the entrepreneurial growth is where you're in your sweet spot. That's your power zone. And I think it's important to, to figure out who you are. And I think a lot of dentists out there are really good at being dentists and they just figure that they should go out and open up 10 locations. And that's because really someone tough. told them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're adopting yeah, someone else's narrative, right? Yeah, like, this is what you should do because this is you invest in real estate. And that may not feel like for me, like, and I'm glad you brought this up, Craig, for me, it feels good. Like I like, I like the hunt of the real estate. I like the D you know, I like all that stuff. I like that. You know, that it's for me, it's for savings. Like you alluded to earlier. Um, but there's ways to do it in a hybridized concept. So let's just say, let's speak to the guy who's just an awesome dentist out there. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm getting to that, that point, right? I'm saying that like, but, it, but to me, it's like, I'm aware enough to know that I like that stuff. I like the redesign of buildings. I like the hunt. I like the, up, you know, I like all that stuff, the creative aspect of, of building. But 
if that's not what floats your boat and really you want to be, you want to take your dentistry to the highest and best use of your time, don't get, don't get bogged down with that. I think. Yeah, but don't conflate the two is what I'm really trying to say. I'm saying like, okay, so you want to do real estate. You like designing buildings. You like doing all that stuff and you're a great dentist. You could be a dentist that owns a, uh, I'm sorry, that rents a small space and then go out and buy a shopping center and have nothing to do with your dentistry. Like you don't have to conflate the two. It's nice in, in, in life to have other endeavors that lead to fulfillment. You don't oh, have okay. to, you don't all have right, to push it all together is what I'm trying to say. So there's, yeah, a, but I think you should, if, if it, cause it's your lane of expertise. Like why not stay in your, in your own lane? Right. Well, it, to the point of Jason saying that, you know, you're picky and you'll be, you'll, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to conflate the two. So you have like a five bay shopping center and you don't want to put a massage parlor in there or the vaping store because your thing isn't there. But you know what? If, there, if you have a check cashing store and a, and a vape and a massage parlor, it could all go very nicely together. You don't have to worry about it. I, I just think that we, we conflate the entrepreneurial endeavors that we do with our own practice, and we don't necessarily have to do that. You can have different lanes for different things. They don't all have to fit together. They don't have to, but sometimes there can be synergy. So I guess we're- absolutely could be. Okay. Right. Um, so, Jason, let's let's keep let's keep talking about. Um, yeah, one thing to elaborate on. Before, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. Okay. Why would a dentist do lease? Is that what your question was? Well, no. Go ahead. You said one thing to elaborate on. Uh, so we talked about the time frame, but I was reasons why a dentist would choose leasing versus owning mm-hmm. is a lot of times when they're go, approaching the dental lenders and looking at a startup allowance, they don't to in order to do the construction they need to be in the area they're looking for to equip a dental office. A lot of times it just not does not fit in. Um, in negotiating a lease, a lot of times we get a landlord to pay um, a third, a half, sometimes even two thirds of the build out cost. Mm-hmm. And after that, the dentist is not responsible for HVAC repairs or parking lot resurfacing or a yeah. new roof type thing. So a lot of times just cash flow wise, it's the first 10 years of doctors in practice, having that kind of controlled payment or low startup investment cost um, really helps them out with the amount of loan that they can get in the beginning. I would rather see them putting money into marketing and putting money into CE than the force savings that a doctor that's been out, you know, 10 years. Yeah, you're right. There's levels, there's levels you need to. Uh, sorry, I may, I may have a breakup, but you're right. There's probably a tier. Can y'all hear me now? We got you loud and clear. Um, there's probably tiers to kind of what you should do. And I agree with you. I think those are, before you invest in real estate, make sure that you've checked off the box of like, are you maximizing your marketing? Are you investing back in your practice first? You know, I think there's boxes to check off first because they're higher and better use of your money than deploying it towards, you know, a real estate situation right yet. So I, I really like that you said that Jason, I think that's good. I think that's good advice. Um, good. You don't want to be so cash poor that you can't, that you literally have to run your practice on a shoestring budget because you bought this, you bought this big building and your cash flow is, is suffered as a consequence. And now you have, now you have to, you know, your marketing budget shrinks down to whatever and you know, everything. And we all know what happens after that. Um, well, there's also something to say too that um, we could, you know. So let's just say your you, your facility cost should be arguably between like five and seven percent, right? Yeah. And and Jason and I were saying this while you were getting cooked up on your your uh, phone before you joined us. It does feel like there's you could make an excuse that if you if your facility costs are is higher, but you own the space. Let's say instead of five to seven percent, it was seven to ten percent. Jason, speak to speak to that. That does that does that even though it's higher, but you're putting the money. There's a good percentage of that going back to principal. Can you argue that or no? Yes, absolutely. So it, that's where I try to involve a, a financial planner and a, a dental specific accounting as well. Um, so yeah, if 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 you're at the seven eight percent range or even higher, I would rather see someone with a higher number that is building a lot of appreciation and equity in a property. They're controlling the real estate for their practice. And another big one is the future proof. Um, if you have that extra space, you could add those operatories. Don't forget that a, a, a relocation c- could cost a dentist $250,000. And so I don't want to see someone squeezing that 5% number and then end up having to move, relocate more times or more often into 
something. That, so if you if someone were buying a practice that was in the 12% range, if they're going to build equity or if they have a future proof and it's, it fits their growth model better, sometimes those um, sometimes I'd look harder at those than the, than the percentage as a bottom line. That's a good. That's a good point, right? Sometimes we look at things just from a P and L perspective. It's like, oh, this is too heavy, right? Like this, but but like Craig and you were both saying, it's 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 not completely accurate because some of that is actually going to your net worth bottom line, right? You're building equity mm-hmm. in your net worth as opposed to. Yeah, it's uh, like yeah, it's like saying how your profit sharing program depletes your your P and L. Right. Your, right. You know what I mean? Four hundred one, right? Yeah, or your doctor distributed salary goes. To, it makes your P and L look worse. You know, so, and, and also, I mean, if you're looking at your net worth too, you should find out like, you know, I was talking to a dentist who's like, man, I'm, it was a couple months ago. He called me, he was really in a desperate place. He was talking to me and he just felt so desperate. He's like, you know, as an associate, I made a hundred grand or 150 grand. And now I'm an owner, I'm making, you know, 120 and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, tell me more, tell me what's going on. And he started boiling off all these things of like, well, the practice was, you know, was doing 500, now it's doing a million. I'm like, okay, well, that's actually equity. There's, there's stored value there. Mm-hmm. So what do you think your practice could sell for? He's like, I don't know, maybe, I'm like, at the low end, what could your practice sell for? He's like, I don't know, 50% of gross? I'm like, okay, fine. So then you just made last year 250 extra thousand dollars because your practice went from 500 to a million. So it's worth 250 and now it's worth 500. So you have to count that. So it's not just the cash you have. That's a simple way of looking at your business to say, what did I bring home today? But also your balance sheet, like what did you put, what, what liability? Craig, do you track yours on an ongoing, you know, we always talk about Pearson's law and like you get what you focus on and you track and track, track. Do you actually go in and, and monitor your net worth? Well, net worth statements, you know, a personal financial statement, something that I do infrequently. But um, yeah, we, I have a balance sheet prepared every month and I see how I'm either adding debt or subtracting debt and I see what my liabilities are. And, you know, that's something I do look at. Absolutely. But again, I don't, you know, the, I think there's, that's, we're getting into a different and a bigger conversation. People have weird views of debt and, everybody was told at one point or another by somebody don't, you know, debt is bad. And I agree there's credit card debt and then there's debt on a a performing asset and you can't treat both classes with the same level of discrimination. Um, People that have compounding credit card debt, there's nothing worse because you can never get out of it the same way. I mean, what did Albert Einstein said? He said like something about compounding interest is one of the greatest. The eighth wonder of the world. The eighth wonder of the world. Compounding interest. I mean, how unsexy is compounding interest? <laughs> you, you just want to be on the other side of the compounding interest, not right. the side of your <laughs> Right. So compounding credit card interest is one of the eighth wonders of the world. But if you have a performing <laughs> asset and it's doing well, if you want to get a CEREC machine or an iTero scanner and your cost of capital, your, your interest is 4% on that. That's a pretty compelling thing. If you could actually say, I'll do X, I'll do more business or patients will appreciate it more because of this. That's a pretty easy business decision to make. Or if it's real estate, that's a pretty easy business decision to make. The one thing that I see a lot of people doing is hoarding cash. I think, you know, when you look at cash over the long term, cash is not king. Dry powder is cool if you need it, but keeping massive stores of cash in a savings account or a checking account, getting 0.001% interest, you're, you're actually squandering that money I agree. Um, and, and not deploying that cash. I know it makes you feel good. It's more of an Archie Bunker mentality. It's just not going to add long-term value for you. And, and I think cash is just an emotional thing. It's not people just want, have an emotional need for just cash. It's a security, right? It's a security blanket, right? To look at, look at that and be like, Oh, okay, I'm good. And that's one of our humans primary needs is to feel secure. So I, I, I agree with you though. It's a disservice to that money. Make it work. You don't just let it sit there on vacation in your bank account. It and also, to- you'll be more intended, more likely to spend it. If you have an extra 30, 40, 50, 100 grand just sitting right. in your bank you account. Right, you feel rich, right? You, you feel rich and you'll, you'll buy something with it. Yeah. Well, ask good. me how I know. <laughs> so, Jason, let me ask. I'm going to ask one more question in closing because Craig and I are big into kind of the f- futurism and, and, and dentistry and kind of what we see. So, what changes do you see in the future of, uh, for dental offices? Like, what do you see, what do you see happening in, in your space? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, multi-locations, which I think is what you're looking at and, and kind of coaching. Um, I think a, 
I've worked with several practices that had large locations, though, and I see more doctors opening larger locations. The number one thing I keep hearing is hiring and attracting associates and good staff and things like that. And I've worked with a few um, three, four doctor practices and, you know, ordering the supplies. And, and if a hygienist doesn't show up for work, life is just easier for them. Yeah. And so I, I think I'll I think we'll see instead of a dentist on every corner, I think we'll see some. Kind of landmark practices yeah. in the future. Yeah. Um, dental office design may be changing a little bit. I, I, I mean, everybody knows the dark room is no longer drawn into the plan anymore. Um, I could see dental labs not being, it's going to look more like a computer lab in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, the dentist private office used to be a area they would meet with friends and things like that at the office. And now I tell dentists have a, a staff break room larger than your private office. So I think there's a shrinking dentist private office. Um, waiting rooms used to be designed more to look like uh, where people would read magazines and have conversations. And I think in the future, they're going to look more like a Starbucks. It's going to be a small little workspace. People are on their phones. They're not visiting with other people and things. So I think there's little changes like that coming to break rooms and in waiting rooms to market to a, a shifting population. I completely agree with, with all those actually. And I, I um, yeah, I personally prescribe to that methodology. Um, Craig, do you have anything else for Jason before we tell people why and how they should get in touch with him? Um, no, I appreciate it. I <clears throat> obviously, you know, I, I think the, um, the information is valid. The one thing I want to, you know, advise a listener, like I've said multiple times is it's all about what your plan is. And this is a good time. Even if this conversation just makes you think about the future, get your, get a vision together, get, get mm-hmm. see where you're going because you know, there's so much sales in dentistry, um, you know, to the dentist about the one size fits all. And the last thing we ever want to do is make people or uh, have people think that, it's a one size fits all world and it's gotta be right for you. And if without a vision though, you'll be all over the place, you'll be chasing your tail. So even if it's just this piece here about the commercial real estate portion, it's a good idea to, to put some pen to paper or get really crafty about your vision. Um, and so that you could see what, what's the right way for you to go. Jason, one thing I thought was really shocking to me when I talked about my specific instance was your, the way you bill and you weren't going to charge me and, and you can correct me at any point. You weren't going to charge. It was no cost to me to, to use your services. They were, they were absorbed by, by the future. Um, less sure. Right. And yeah. so I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, what do I have to lose? And so that, I think that was actually the point that, that I engaged you. It's like, okay, I got nothing to really lose by talking to him and, and getting him on my team. And I think that that so many of us are kind of uh, get stage fright, but like, God, that's going to cost a lot or this is going to, so can you tell a little bit about your business model? Yeah. So the, the Starbucks and the, the sandwich shop, the cell phone place all use real estate agents to negotiate their locations and their leases. And so that's something the landlords are kind of always prepared. They have a, a normal real estate commission figured in the deal. And we just split that with the buying agent versus the listing agent. Uh, I think of myself as more like a specialist, like a like an endodontist, uh, this is all I do all day every day is negotiate leases and look for space. And so my biggest competition is a dentist that has a a neighbor or friend or cousin that's a real estate agent, and they say, "Yeah, I'll help you out." But the biggest thing that I do differently is is bring in the entire dental team, and whether it's the distributor, the designer, the architect, the dental specific attorney. Um, a, a lot of times, I'll bring out a dental contractor to look at a building beforehand. But I want to make sure that it. The doctor knows everything. I'm more likely to point out problems to a doctor than I am trying to get a doctor excited about, about a space that may not fit their budget or their long-term vision. So if my company is just in the Southeast and I'm just in Georgia, mm-hmm. um, we also have a rep in Indiana. But if we don't, uh, this is a nationwide podcast. So if we if we don't have a person in your area, just look for someone it's that an interna- is It's connected. an international podcast, Jason? International <laughs> podcast, okay. Um, so... My suggestion would be is, for people to look for someone that knows uh, that is in the kind of network with the dental equipment people and the brokers and the someone that is kind of going to be held responsible to to their overall success and not just trying to find them a spot and then moving on. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. So, Jason, I'm gonna is it I'm gonna put your uh, your web address here in the show, in the show notes. It's CrownTenantAdvisors.com. And again, Jason Price, and he's the director, I guess, for the Atlanta division. 
And um, man, thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for giving us the insight on the world you live, bud. Sounds great. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah great to have you. Thanks. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Craig. Yeah, thanks for making fun of me. What are you talking about? I, you you had to give me a verbal lesson on anonymity. Yeah, I still can't damn say it. Yeah, and well, can you say the word anonymous? Anonymous. Okay, perfect. Then you got your your seventy percent of the way there. It's anonymous and itty. <laughs> anonymous itty. Yeah, and now you just drop out the us. Anonymity. Oh my God, we almost had you, bro. <laughs> I'll work on you later. I don't want to keep the recording going. <laughs> Take right. care, guys. Thanks for listening. Over and out. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. If you got any value or insight from today's episode, it massively helps us create awareness if you would take five seconds and leave us a review in iTunes. Also, stay in touch with our updates and such by just texting the word Bulletproof, all one word, to 345-345. We promise not to bombard you with spam texts or anything, but it will help update you on special opportunities for our listeners as well as even info on the upcoming Bulletproof Summit 2019. Again, that's the word Bulletproof to 345-345. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great day.